This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, 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 everybody. Hope you had a great weekend. Uh, Good to be back with you in the saddle here and a big week coming. Uh, In a few moments, we'll talk with, we'll get an update on the trucker situation up in Ottawa. Marina Hoffman, who's been with us before, her father is a trucker. Her family's been very supportive of the truckers and uh, has actually been helping when they pass through Toronto. They were involved and they're going up there to Ottawa in the next few days. So we'll talk with her in a few moments um, and a lot more. Before we get to that, this should have been Perhaps, I guess I should say that perhaps this was the most important weekend in terms of the politics of this moment in history in, I don't know, 50 years, because what has come out over the weekend was irrefutable evidence, not questioned evidence, not conjecture, but irrefutable evidence that the Hillary Clinton campaign and agents of her campaign, lawyers and paid technical advisors, I don't know if that's the right word, but paid techies that did work for her, accessed Donald Trump's campaign. They were, quote, spying on him. Whether you, you know, he, he, one of the things he got mocked for was saying that he was wiretapped, which is a kind of old fashioned way of saying, that you're being surveilled. It's kind of like a, almost like, you know, I don't know if you watched the Super Bowl over the weekend, but uh, one of the ads for, I think, Chevy was a rehash of the Sopranos um, opening. Remember the Sopranos opening? It was clever. It was the Sopranos opening was all the uh, roads of New, New Jersey as, as, uh, as uh, I think Tony Soprano was driving to work or driving home. And so you saw the bridges and the signs and the Jersey and all this. And they did that and they had the daughter, uh, the Soprano daughter, uh, what is her name? Um, summer, I think, driving a, a Chevy. But um, the uh, the reality of that, so that, that's the phrase that Trump used, was wiretapped, which is kind of an old-fashioned term. But the reality is, we now know that Trump was right. They were tapped into his electronics. They were into his server. And even more stunning, it should be the number one story across the world, as far as I can tell, is that not only were they into his, they were they were um, surveilling his campaign. When he became president, they kept doing it. Now, do you understand what we're saying? We had political opponents and others, I guess perhaps just regular people. I don't know. I don't know if we can say yet for sure that it was the intelligence community. I'm not sure we can, uh, but they were surveilling. They were inside the president of the United States, his white house and the servers there. Now, I I don't know how that could be bigger. You know, people often throw around, they used to do it on CNN all the time, bigger than Watergate. And you'd have uh, Carl Bernstein, Woodward and Bernstein come on and say, Oh, you know, Trump's uh, call to the Ukraine is bigger than Watergate. I'm not sure any of that was ever true at all. I don't think any was even close, but isn't it pretty close to true that if Watergate was a burglary and then a cover-up, if that's what it was, what we have is wiretap. So, excuse me. If 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 Watergate was a burglary and a cover-up, 
of a campaign opponent. In other words, during the campaign, there was a burglary and a cover-up of a political campaign. In this case, we have the burglary surveillance of a campaign, but that's only the beginning. Then we have active spying, active surveillance on the president of the United States. Isn't that the definition of, I don't know what, an insurrection? Treason? If you're actually trying to um, damage the president of the United States and his administration, perhaps take it out of office, what is that? After you're doing something in a campaign, you keep doing it as a, as a president. It's, it's pretty far along the path from, I don't know what, campaign dirty tricks? You can't say that anymore because it's not campaign dirty tricks. The campaign was over. And here's where it gets unbelievable, not unbelievable, not unbelievable. What gets unbelievable is when I tell you that the people that were involved and the main guy, one of the main guys is a guy named Jake Sullivan, who had told people once Hillary won, he would be national security advisor. And she lost, of course, and he went out into exile. And instead of doing, I don't know, writing think tank papers, he appears to have been engaged in the effort to surveil the Trump administration. And he certainly was a public opponent of the Trump administration in a way that was striking. I mean, he was a real leader in that. And now we know he was on the inside, too. Now, there are other people, Mark Elias, the lawyer. There's other lawyers that look like they some of them may have lied to Durham and the FBI. So they're in the hot seat. But we've just got the tip of the iceberg of what looked like an insurrection. And here's where it gets in, 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 incredible. Like out of a movie, a movie about the end of a republic. Jake Sullivan is now in the White House. He's one of Biden's senior aides, national security advisor. He's one of the top guys in the White House. The guy who was at the heart of the effort to spy on the Trump campaign and his White House is now in the White House. And we're supposed to look up and say, oh, good, Jake Sullivan. Tell us how to think about Ukraine or tell us how to think about um, Antifa or And, you know, at a certain point, what you have to say is, and I do blame the Obama administration, the Obama era. They weaponized the government against we the people. And you can tell me that you think that the Trump administration did too, but I don't see any evidence of it. I think it was four more years of the Obama people, Comey, Clapper, Brennan, the woman that's running the CIA now, uh, all these folks continuing the vision they have. And, you know, there was a piece out over the weekend and it was forwarded to me, which uh, I think it's Conservative Treehouse had it. And the Conservative Treehouse, the essay was uh, was about the intelligence branch and it's sort of tongue in cheek, not really, but it's the intelligence. There's different branches of the government. And the one that's the intelligence branch. Yeah. Conservative Treehouse is where it is. The intelligence branch is outside of all the rest of them and that what they want to do, they do. Yeah. It's a, a story. It's a piece over at, um, at, uh, uh, the conservative treehouse.com. I think the author is Sundance, one of these anonymous authors. Um, uh, but it's a stunning thing to read this and to see and read that There's a long lengthy piece, but it talks about the, uh, the, it talks about the intelligence state and the state that has dominance over what's going on. But uh, can you imagine, can you imagine what would be happening today if there was evidence that the Donald Trump 
administration spied on the Biden administration. Can you imagine what that would have looked like? It was unbelievable, incredible to even read it and think seriously that the 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 Hillary campaign, which was hand in glove with the Obama administration, right? They, they were hand in glove. We know that. And they were able to surveil Donald Trump. He was right. They did wiretap him. He was right. After all this time, he's proven right again. And here's the real trick. He said, Trump, that something funny went on with the election. And they said, the same people, Jake Sullivan and others said, you can't say that. That's outrageous. We would never do anything like that. Now, what we've proven is they did the most brazen thing they could. And it's the same people. They did the most brazen, it looks like illegal things they could to surveil Trump. And now we're supposed to say, oh, they would never do that for the election. They, they literally would engage in an insurrection, in my opinion. An insurrection to surveil the president and try to take him down. Damage his people, damage his administration, damage the presidency, all that. And now we're supposed to think the same people. Oh, no, they just they were above board. They went and did the election. They were there's total election integrity. Really? It's not believable. And the cherry on top is, will anyone be held accountable? Does does anyone get held accountable? Because you know what they said for years? Trump colluded with the Russians. Turns out that Hillary colluded with foreigners to to try to take down Trump. For years, they said Trump will be a dictator. He'll do X, Y, Z. They were surveilling the guy. Unbelievable. Bad day. And, you know, you go over to CNN, you won't find the story. You go over to MSNBC, you won't find the story. They won't even cover the story. Breathtaking. All right, we got to take a break. We'll come back. We will talk with Marina Hoffman. We'll also talk a little bit about global warming later. And I will give you an update on the great scandal that will transform the U.S. House and the U.S. Senate. Be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. You know, last week, maybe a week and a half ago, I had a guest on the program and people emailed me afterwards and said, boy, that was somebody who had great perspective. Her name is Marina Hoffman Willard, and uh, she is an author. Uh, she is a teacher. Uh, she's a Christian and uh, in all sorts of and all those orders. She's on Instagram at Marina Hoffman and one F on Hoffman and also women in the Bible info is her website. But oh, she also is Canadian. And her family has been closely involved uh, and um, aware of what's happening up with the truckers. Her father actually is a pastor, well, and also a trucker. And so, uh, Marina, welcome back to the program. And first of all, how is your family doing? How's your dad doing? What's the perspective of your family on this uh, at this time? You know, Ed, as you know, politically, things are so tense, but my family is so filled with joy. All my friends, they are so excited. And really the sense of hope has overcome all other feelings of fear or frustration or even hopelessness that they'll never be listened to. Yeah. So your dad is a, a pastor and a trucker. Is he in the convoy right now? Is he up there? He has been. He has been as it went through Toronto, and oh. he hasn't gone up to Ottawa yet, but he is. my family's getting ready to leave on Friday. Right now, he's been on the border in Toronto. 
Oh, wow. And so tell me what's going on up there. I mean, there's news news accounts early on late Sunday, early Monday were that uh, they're, they're, the government is going to crack down. But what's the reality on the ground and what has it been? Because you can't trust any media in my experience. Well, that's right. So it is true. The federal government is increasing their threats. They're going to, you know, call emergency acts. So they have all kinds of power for 30 days. And yet we see in the provinces, the premiers one by one are taking away the mandates and saying everything's going to open up. Mm-hmm. But on the ground, you know, despite all these threats, you see the crowds are continuing to grow by hundreds. We've seen thousands of people out in so many cities across the nation after a, a over this weekend so it's really incredible and as you know at one by one more borders are shutting along the u.s canadian border now what is the again we're talking with uh, marina hoffman and uh, she her, her family her dad's a trucker and her family's she's canadian and and she's uh, recounting some of the uh first-hand accounts um What's the impact on the economy? In other words, the, the, you know, uh, Trudeau complained about how, oh, it's closing down Ottawa. And he was mad about that. But uh, is the are regular people feeling what's happening and what is their uh, sort of sentiment about what's happening? Yeah, you know, what closed down the economy was shutting down the country for two years. But yes, there is an immediate effect of closing down the borders because the deliveries are not arriving. And it's true. A lot of people are saying more and more the shelves are emptying. But you know, Ed, I haven't heard anyone complain about it. The people I've talked to, many of them are saying, you know, these things are small temporary sacrifices, not to get maybe their favorite brand, because things need to happen for the prime minister to listen. And so you see the impact on the economy. But of course, it's so ironic that the mayor of Ottawa is complaining that businesses can't function in Ottawa. That's the whole reason for this convoy. The business cannot function. Well, and uh, and Marina is the um, what's the end game, do you think? I mean, uh, at one level, the frustration when you see the faces on the truckers when they're interviewed or citizens who are, help, are supporting them, you, you see the frustration. You say, hey, you know, we're sick of this. We're sick of being, uh, you know, uh, bureaucrats in a distant, um, you know, uh, cubicle deciding X or Y and telling us, you know, you don't doesn't matter what you observe. We're, we're following the science we see. You're stuck with it. But what's the end game? I mean, and, and one of the things I think, again, I don't trust the media at all. So as I ask this, I, I, I plead ignorance on my own formation of what I think I know. But the media will sort of make it look like, oh, nobody knows what the how it turns out. What, what do you think? What can happen? Is it is it is it um, is it, you know, lifting the restrictions uh, broadly? Is it a move in the right direction? As you point out, the world is just moving in the direction of the truckers, whether Trudeau wants to or not. Yeah, so there's the science angle, and everyone, all of your listeners now know the studies are showing lockdowns did not stop COVID. It did not stop COVID deaths. It really made no difference. And then there's the political pressure. And again, one by one, premiers are lifting the mandates, but in his own party, very few people have stood up to say anything in defense of the convoy or even make a call to listen. So I think, Ed, it's really coming down to how many Canadians will stand behind this convoy and at what point will Trudeau finally be pressured to say something. And the polls are coming out, you know, a couple of weeks ago, maybe 20 percent of Canada was supportive to some degree. The latest polls over the weekend are showing 50 plus Canadians are now supporting the convoy. So, Ed, even the pressure that Canadians themselves are now 
on the side of freedom and they've had enough. I'm hoping something will push Trudeau, but he's a, you could say he's a proud man. He's even issuing today that he wants to increase the emergency order in Canada, which of course will give him really a wartime act authority hmm. over what's happening. Uh, we're talking with uh, Dr. Marina Hoffman. I should have said that. She's got a PhD. She's the author of Women in the Bible, a small group Bible study, a book out last year. She teaches uh, uh, on, on the faculty at Palm Beach Atlantic University. And also you can go on Instagram at marinahoffman.com. Her website is womeninthebible.info. Uh, Marina, you mentioned your family was involved when the convoy passed through Toronto. What's that mean? Does it mean you go out to where uh, the convoy goes through Toronto? Is it picking up truckers to go with him or is it stopping for a few hours and then moving on what's what tell me what that was and then you said they're leaving on friday to go out to ottawa what will that entail are you are you sort of taking a truck there or does someone take a truck there or are you going there to help support things tell me some of this sort of local color yeah, so when they came across Canada, this is like two weeks ago now, they started, first of all, in southern Ontario, and my parents live mostly in southern Ontario, so they drove out about two hours to join. They joined, just joined the line. I mean, there's so many truckers, but there's a vast number of personal vehicles, so they got in their Jeep, Ed, and just wow. slow rolled down the highway until they were two hours past their home, so they spent maybe four, six hours on the road, but the the border is a lot closer than them. They're about an hour and a half away from the border, so they've been going to the border and taking a stand but their excitement and their desire really i can say ed to to make a sacrifice for their freedom for their kids freedom is pushing them to go to ottawa on the weekend and they don't know where they're going to stay i said dad what are you going to do he's like you know what i'm going to do what everyone else is doing we might be sleeping in the vehicle all five of them in a jeep not sure how it's going to work out but they are (laughs) committed four days to do whatever they can, small or big, to make a difference. Well, and you know, um, uh, as so many things in the media, they, I think they used to relate everything to Trump. Now they relate it to Joe Rogan for a while. But 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 how how do you um, how do you fit this truckers uh, sort of um, movement into what you've seen and observed? You know, uh, in the last five years. I mean, you had Trump, you had uh, the MAGA movement in America. You got all these different things. How, how do they fit together? Is it is it a is it a sort of MAGA movement? Is it different? Is it uh, is it even conservative or liberal? You know, there's so few voices that are conservative in Canada. I think there's a lot less than here in the states because, as we know, Fox News and Salem Media, all kinds of these. Um, voices are much louder because of Trump. They've increased their listenership. In Canada, we don't have these outlets. You know, you want Fox News, you have to pay for it, right? So I don't think there's been a great move to support Trump. But I'll tell you, Ed, what happened. The decisions Biden has made has really pushed people to realize maybe Trump wasn't so bad. And so the last year has made, I think, a lot more people question their assumptions about Trump and what they heard on the media. And of course, the last months with this convoy, people are watching the news and seeing a completely different reality on social media and outside their door. So I think finally, Canadians are realizing that the media is much more liberal than they realized. Is uh, again, Marina Hoffman is our guest, and she's been on with us before, and, and she is uh, Canadian herself. Her family is, father's a trucker, and also a pastor. She's, she is the author uh, of a book on the Bible, and you can follow her on Twitter, excuse me, on Instagram, at Marina Hoffman, one F in that Hoffman, just to be clear. Uh, so I want to come back. I'm finishing, but how do you think this 
resolves. I mean, it, you know, it's still winter. It's still cold. I think it's always cold. No, it's not always cold in Canada, but it's cold in Canada. And so, you know, people get tired. They're they're trying to create a the weight them out dynamic. How does this turn out? You know, what you're saying has been my fear, but yesterday was negative 30 Celsius and in Fahrenheit, <laughs> that's beyond freezing right. with the windshield factor. I mean, we were getting texts from Ottawa. People, are, like they're lost, they're losing uh, the feeling in their fingers and they're still <laughs> out there. So Ed, if the cold winter a weather from two weeks ago hasn't stopped them and the threats to take away their children, I mean, this is outrageous, Ed. If this hasn't stopped them and has only increased their numbers, I am feeling very hopeful, but yet I do think Trudeau is going to do whatever he can, regardless of the decisions of the premier's own party. I don't think he's going to bend easily. I think this can easily go on for another two weeks. Well, and, and, you know, I think that one of the things, if you watch, I tell people there's, there's two models right now in the world uh, you can watch. Watch what the Chinese regime did to Hong Kong over, over a 20 year period. They slowly sort of took it over. Or you can go in and, and, uh, you know, sort of swing the batons and, and try to fight a war. I don't think you can fight a war. And I don't think Trudeau can afford the image of dragging truckers out, but he can quietly in lots of ways you can't see make it so unbearable for people that it's uh, becomes difficult to sustain. I think that's, more likely what they, they, they do, especially with the power of the of the state, you know, of the of the government in these times. Uh, Marina Hoffman, I've got to run, unfortunately. Marina Hoffman, again, is our guest, and, and I will put up on social media her Twitter handle as well as her website, womeninthebible.info. Uh, thank you, Marina, and we'll have you back on again soon. I know uh, you're watching closely because it's your family. We'll be praying for your family, and uh, keep us in the loop, please. Thank you, Ed. Thanks very much, Marina Hoffman. We'll take a break, everybody. Don't forget, we put all these interviews over at ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. We'll take a break, and we will be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report, back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. A few weeks ago now, we had our next guest on. Maybe it's longer, I guess. My mind telescopes. His name is Steve Malloy, and uh, his Twitter handle is at junk science at junk science very helpful useful twitter feed he has uh, been a fox news contributor he's an attorney he was on the trump uh, epa transition team uh he's the founder of junkscience.com which is also a very useful site welcome back steve how are you hey Ed, it's great to be here thanks so i had my first thing is that before we get to a couple other uh, things that are more a little more recent you retweeted about 10 days ago in early February. And, I, and so I'll jog your memory in case you don't remember, because you do have a great Twitter feed at Junk Science. You retweeted an essay out of the New York Times, and the essay was called Apocalypse When. And then it was on. It's done by a woman named uh, Jan, excuse me, Amanda Hess. And when you read this piece, it basically um, it, it, it makes you have to you, you sort of if you buy into it, that the climate crisis is so unbelievable that you can't understand it. And you actually have to therefore believe it. It's incredible. Like it all, and, 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 and it's, it's all the things. Yeah. It makes you laugh. It's all the things like that don't make sense that are not, you know, congruous that don't add up. That's just because, well, it's just so big. It's like beyond our comprehension. And they, it's a serious essay in the New York times. Is this what it's come to? Uh, yeah, and it's getting even worse. You know, the uh, Washington Post has this, uh, I call them climate bedwetters. Their their whole weather team has gone into climate bedwetting. And they've, gone to, <laughs> they've gone to the extent where they now blame their misforecasts on global warming. Because it's really? harder to forecast now with, you know, the rapidly warming planet. It's yeah. total nonsense. I mean, they have every excuse in the world 
for not being right. And they've never been right. You know, I've got a couple things on junk science. I've got a series called Wrong Again, looking at, you know, their missed predictions over the last 50 years. And, and I got another one on the ones that were supposed to happen in, by 2020. None of these things ever happen. These people are always wrong. They've never been right. It's shocking that they have gotten as far as they have. Uh, we're talking with Steve Malloy again. He's uh, at Junk Science on Twitter. Uh, he's also the founder of uh, JunkScience.com, as he mentioned. Uh, lots of, of good uh, breakdown there. Uh, your tweet, by the way, your retweet of this uh, essay, you, you wrote, global warming evolving from hoax to farce. And then you had this quote. This is the quote from the essay. Global warming is what the eco-philosopher Timothy Morton calls a hyper-object, a concept that is too large to be adequately comprehended by human beings. Yes, and yet we are supposed to sort of readjust or adjust our economy to the tune of trillions of dollars, even though we can't understand what the heck it all means, right? I mean, yeah. this, is a, this is the funniest part about it. I mean, this is the sickest part about what is funny. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, global warming was originally that greenhouse gases were going to warm the planet and we were all going to melt down. And of course, that has not happened. Nothing close to that has happened. And so they're, you know, they've told all these people, they've built up all these expectations in people, and it's just not happening. And so they've they've got to, you know, come up with this excuse that it's it's just larger than all of us. You can't understand, but trust us. Yeah, exactly. That's a trust us. All right. So um, now uh, the real reason I got you on, we're talking again with Steve Malloy and uh, JunkScience.com is his website at JunkScience on Twitter. Is um, I got forwarded that Joe Biden is getting ready to reconvene. Uh, some of the key big business guys that are willing to roll over uh, for what he wants to try to get the climate, um, you know, climate, uh, what is it, competes act uh, to move ahead. Tell me what's going on here. Give me a breakdown on where where we are, because we're, we're, we're supposed to be focused on the Ukraine and that there's a war. Meanwhile, you know, the rest of the economy is being either tanked or changed dramatically. So tell me what this means. What is this about? Well, so Nancy Pelosi has this bill that she just ran through the House. It's called Compete. So I can't remember exactly what Compete stands for, but it's supposed to be this bill to subsidize American industry to make it more competitive than Ch- more competitive with China. Right. And of course, it does the exact opposite. <laughs> because what it does is it's this, it's this backdoor ratification of the Paris Climate Agreement, and um, you know the, the activists, of course, with, with with this bill passed, the activists will be able to go to federal court, have the Paris Climate Accord, as well as the Green New uh, Deal uh, imposed on the American economy. And what will happen is we're not going to become more competitive with China. We're going to become more dependent on China because all this green technology, the solar, wind turbines, uh, you know, the batteries for EVs, the rare earths that go into all this green tech, it all comes from China or the vast majority of it. So we're just going to make ourselves dependent on China if these bills go through. Now, you know, I understand people have disagreements with me about climate science and the need for solar and wind. And, you know, that's fine. Uh, But, you know, if you're going to advocate for solar and wind and EVs, you you should at least not advocate for us to become more dependent on China. I mean, if we're going to have this green junk, as I call it, it should at least be, uh, you know, made in America. Yeah, it's uh, we're talk- again, we're talking with Steve Malloy at Junk Science on Twitter, JunkScience.com. A lot of there, there and those two places to follow. Uh, he also makes me smile. He's got a pretty good sense of humor. Um, Steve, it felt like the Paris Climate Accord thing 
sort of was dead, right? If if Trump came in and said, I'm getting out of that, that was a hoax. It was a money transfer, you know, wealth transfer to China. They weren't going to abide by it. I think most Americans sort of got that. We got out of Paris, the client, the agreement there, nothing ended, you know, the world, the seas didn't rise and all. Um, and that's all true, I think, generally. Greta Thornburg, she had her 15 minutes of fame. And after that, people kind of went, why is this little kid still talking? What's the deal? <laughs> but, but, but the left never stops. And the point here is, you know, you were on EPA transition for Trump. The EPA is still um, under Biden is transitioning back to its old self, right? Dominating every aspect of industry We're we're watching um, inflation in large part, in some part, because of the energy costs are going up uh, and, and we're limiting our options. Uh, and then here we are, as you're saying, they're backdooring this. Um, and most Americans don't realize what's happening. Right. I mean, that's the problem. Yeah. Well, as it as it turns out, I mean, the, the Trump years were just an intermission between Obama and Biden. You know, Obama destroyed the coal industry. Biden's mission now is to finish finish off the coal industry and then destroy the fracking industry, which you know, is is uh, you know, what made America energy dominant under Trump. And we have higher gasoline prices. We have higher natural gas prices. You know, we're affected by the global energy crisis now uh, because of, of Biden's war on fossil fuels. And this is just a continuation of what Obama was doing. And uh, it's bad. It's, you know, it's bad for the economy. It's bad for our national security. There's no upside to it. And, you know, it, it's not like the weather is, you know, getting any better, thanks to Joe Biden. And the biggest irony of, of all is that, you know, we're paying more for energy now, more higher gas, higher natural gas prices, and emissions are going up. Right. What is up with that? That's totally crazy. Right, right. Well, again, we're talking with Steve Malloy. Steve, um, Biden's gathering these people to the White House, you know, heads of heads of major companies. Um, yeah. it, it, it's fashionable to say and I think it's accurate that the major companies have become woke. Like, you know, they're going to be politically correct on on uh, Me Too. They're going to be politically correct on diversity. But how did they get so far out on climate? And in the sense that, I mean, these companies usually just want to they want to run a profit. If anything, they're looking the other way. They're looking to find the fastest way to get the cheapest fuel. And they've all gone sort of uber woke on climate. And I, I mean, you don't expect that. I, well, I guess by now you do, because um, the power of the government to hold them uh, to account. So they, they figure it's better to roll over. Is that what's going on? I mean, why? How, how? Well, yeah, Ed, that's exactly it. I mean, the government has just gotten too much power over these companies. Take the car makers, for example. Um, you know, Obama uh, issued these really strict fuel economy standards. Trump rolled them back. Now, Biden reimposed them. And, you know, the car companies can't meet these standards. And so they're hoping if they, you know, appease Biden uh, by, you know, signing on to his EV mandates, his electric vehicle mandates, and the government can subsidize them enough, they can survive. So that, you know, they're all for that. Electric utilities, you know, a similar story, uh, just, you know, different, different than car makers. But, you know, everyone's just looking for money from the federal government. And they don't want, they don't want the government to be on their case. So they, they all knuckle under. And it's because, you know, our government, you know, starting with Obama, really became this sort of gangster government where, um, you know, if, if you're not doing what the government wants, it's going to lean on you and shut you down. Yeah, I guess the um, again, Steve Malloy is our guest and Steve Malloy is uh, uh, at, at, both at Junk Science is his uh, Twitter handle, which is a very good one. And then uh, founder of JunkScience.com was uh, on the Trump EPA uh, transition team. He's an attorney, all sorts of fund manager. Um, Steve, uh, how does it how does it turn around? I mean, you point to it. We laugh about it. 
but the powers that be are filled with people that are, are willing to dramatically change the economy, damage the way we live because of either they're delusional or they hate America. I don't know which. I can't read their minds. How, how does it turn around? Well, you know, we had it turned around under Trump, but then mean tweets. So right, right, <laughs> we don't right. know where we are. Uh, and we got to start over. So it starts over 2022, taking the House back, stopping this ability uh, to, to ram legislation down our throats. Uh, but, you know, for the remainder of the Biden term, and this is the hard part, uh, we've got three years where there's just going to be this regulatory onslaught, like during the Obama years, you know, where you have this out of control EPA, for example, trying to advance its climate agenda, you know, come hell or high water. Mm. It's going to be something. All right, Steve, I'm out of time. Steve Malloy at Junk Science on Twitter. JunkScience.com is his website. Uh, we'll have you back again, Steve. It's very right, helpful. Thank you. Yep. Thank you, sir. We'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, the conservative pro-family broadcast of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, a leading voice for the sanctity of life, traditional education, the Constitution, and American sovereignty. Now, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Former President Donald Trump has endorsed more than 70 candidates for this year's election cycle, a number that will greatly expand as we get closer to Election Day in November. Trump had a near-perfect record of endorsements in 2021, with only a slight miss in Texas. A slew of tremendous new candidates have entered races based on Trump's encouragement and his endorsements. Trump is bringing bold, fresh, energetic candidates into the political arena, like Joe Kent, who is challenging an anti-Trump Republican incumbent in Washington State's 3rd District. A combat veteran of 11 overseas deployments, Joe Kent has become a leading voice in opposition to needless foreign wars, which are being fomented by those who failed to heed the lessons of Iraq, Libya, Syria, and Afghanistan. Trump deserves the credit for transforming the Republican Party from a perennial also-ran status into the side favored to win this year. Unlike Richard Nixon and George H.W. Bush, both of whom gave up, Trump has never backed down while withstanding far greater pressure than any previous president. A year after the divisive 2020 election, President Biden has failed to deliver on his promise to unite the country or even extend an olive branch to the 75 or so million people who voted for Trump and still support him. Biden's lack of charity to his opponents has made it politically easier for Republicans to build momentum for the midterm elections this coming fall. Biden should follow the example of our first president, whose authority was challenged by the anti-tax whiskey rebellion in western Pennsylvania in 1794. After he got on horseback and personally led troops to put down the riots, which the governor was unable to quell, President George Washington pardoned the convicted offenders even though those same men had put him in personal danger. Following Joe Biden's lead, delusional House Democrats may think that their strategy of seeking revenge against Trump supporters will gain them votes next November. We'll see how that turns out for them, but I don't have high hopes. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. These culturally relevant commentaries, along with videos, columns, and bulletins, are waiting for you at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Plus, find, follow, and share our news and views on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Parler, Gab, and Twitter. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, our dear friend, our producer, Noah Dingley, is away today. Uh, so uh, Chris is in. Thank you, first of all, Chris, for helping us. And thank you, as always, to Joanna Spilger, our associate producer, also appreciate it. I like to remember to do that. Sometimes I forget to say thank you. So thank you very much, guys. Welcome back to this program here. We just have a little bit of a segment to finish up. It is the Pro-America Report. Please, please visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. A hodgepodge of uh, of uh, emails and texts from people over the weekend. So let me get to a couple. One of them was a clarification. I guess I spoke about the House Check, um, House Bank, U.S. House, United States of Representatives, U.S. House Bank scandal uh, in 1992. And I did, I assumed more knowledge of that than I had let on, than, than people knew. So let me explain a little better. 1992, the story breaks that there is a House bank. The United States of Representatives has its own bank up in the U.S. Capitol. And that all the members get to use that bank for no fee. Um, they get to cash their checks there because this is 1992. There wasn't direct deposit. At least it wasn't common. May have existed a little bit, but not much. And they got to use the House bank over time to uh, write checks. So you could deposit your money there, you know, your paycheck uh, for being a House member. But you could also write checks. And, over, and there was no fee for overdrawing your account, for overspending, for writing a check. Say you had $100 in your bank account, you wrote a check for 500 There was no fee for that. It just showed up in your mail, and you got a, a report that said, oh, you overdrew. You owe us $400. No fee, no interest, no trouble. Well, that's a recipe for disaster, right, in the sense that that's quite a perk, and over time, what happened was uh, hundreds and hundreds of members of the U.S. House decided this was a good deal, and they used it. And they overdrew some people as many as much as thousands of dollars. And so the House bank check-writing scandal became a problem politically for the Democrats in 1992. They'd been in charge of the House, the U.S. House. You know, they had, the Republicans had not had leadership in the U.S. House for ages. And so they got into trouble. Here's where it gets interesting. I, I, this is the title of the segment when I posted over at the Pro-America Report. The title of this segment is going to be, Who Wants to Be John Boehner? Who Wants to Be Rick Santorum? Or actually, I think, what I'll, I think I'll title it, Who Wants to Be the Next Rick Santorum? Because John Boehner and Rick Santorum and, and about five other members of the U.S. House, the Republicans, they were new members. They were freshmen in 92. And they used the opportunity as freshmen. They had they were Republicans. They had no standing on committees they, because they were Republicans. They were all controlled by Democrats. And then they were Republicans. So they were, and they, excuse me, they were freshmen. So they had very little seniority. So they had nowhere to go. And so John Boehner, Rick Santorum, and five others became uh, these crusading press monger House members saying, of course, they hadn't been in the House, right? They were brand new, so they didn't have a chance to mess up and abuse things. I'll mention that in a second. So they were, and you know, years later, you could say, well, John Boehner was in the House, U.S. House for uh, 20 plus years. Did he ever, you know, I'm not sure he ever, uh, he, he became a part of the swamp in many ways. But those guys led, it was all men, led this, cha- this challenge, this charge to say, this is a scandal. And it caught the imagination of the public. Now, in 1994, the election, it was probably preordained 
that Bill Clinton was going to lose seats anyway, right? He had come into office, he had been uh, uh, swept out the incumbent, and then he was pretty stumbling, bumbling. He had nominated two or three cabinet members who had to withdraw. They had uh, nannies, they had scandals, uh, uh, and he didn't look very, um, he did not look very comfortable in the job. And of course, every off-year election following a presidency, new presidency, the party in power tends to lose. So he lost seats. He did, however, lose a record number of seats. And you have to believe that the anti-incumbent fervor was really fed by the House Bank, the check-writing scandal. Now, one quick note on this, by the way. Um, you've heard me talk a lot. In fact, later on this week, we will talk with Adam Andrzejewski of OpenTheBooks.com. I love transparency as a, um, as a tool to make government accountable. In other words, put online in searchable ways how the money's spent. Because if you can see how the money's spent, you can see what's going on. One of the problems with transparency is incumbents don't want to do it. Because even if you're a good guy, let's say that you're a really good guy or gal, and you get elected to Congress and you serve for four terms, and you, you don't abuse it. You're not using your office to do dumb things and have parties. You're not spending $1,000 a month on food. You're not doing any of that. It's still sort of embarrassing or still unsettling for everybody to see that you do spend $80 a month of taxpayer dollars on your cell phone, because that does happen, or $120 every week on cookies, because it does happen, because people do that for their office. They have events, or they have um, uh, constituents visiting or whatever. Incumbents in office for a while don't want to do transparency. So if you're going to do transparency, you got to do it on the way in. You got to say on the way in, I'm going to make it available all the time. Then your then your behavior will change, and you'll say, Yeah, we're not going to do cookies because I don't want to have to reveal that. Anyway, my point is that's that that's a very common problem of transparency. But here's the, the here, so the House Bank scandal was the idea that the check writing that the the uh, uh, accounts were used to write checks didn't have to be paid back. Now to be clear, they had to be paid back someday. But it could be months and years later. It was not. Nobody thought that they were taking money themselves. They weren't going up to the window and getting cash. But again, the public's imagination was caught, captured by the idea that these, mostly men at the time, these men and women in Congress, they got a free reign. They got free checking because every time I have a check that bounces, I get a fee from the person who I bounced it towards. I get a fee from the bank. In fact, at the time back then, you would spend extra for the young people listening. You'd pay extra to have the ability to bounce checks. You'd have overdraft protection, it was called. So you, they would, the bank would actually cover you, and you could not get caught having that problem. So that's what it was. So, so whoever, I, I think it was Tom, emailed me over the weekend. Hopefully that clarified. We'll talk more about it. I think it's, this scandal, the bank, the, the, the house bank scandal, the check writing scandal, is going to be looked at as we see this insider trading, uh, congressmen and women stock trading uh, up there on Capitol Hill, making money off of being an insider. Uh, we'll talk more about that next week. Uh, I mean this week. we got to run. Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening.